Well, good resurrection morning to you all. He's risen. You better believe it. Boy, aren't we glad. What a beautiful morning. Thanks for being with us. And for those of you watching online, either locally or somewhere else in the world, we're glad you're doing that as well. You know, last year uh, marked the 250th anniversary of the birth of Ludwig van Beethoven, the great composer. And um, the finest concert halls around the world had scheduled commemorative uh, concerts. Of course, a lot of them had to be either digitalized or postponed because of COVID to this year. But um, Beethoven had uh, composed something like 722 uh, musical compositions over a 45-year lifespan. Uh, an amazing genius uh, composer. Um, great works, uh, like the Third Symphony that he dedicated to, at least initially, to Napoleon Bonaparte, or the, um, the Fifth Symphony, you know it, right? Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. Or the uh, Ninth Symphony that concluded with that uh, incredible ode to joy. I will not regale you with uh, that, but uh, Master, he, by the way, he wrote that, well, thank you. Uh, he wrote that while he was uh, completely deaf. Amazing. Um, Ludwig Beethoven. Now, I grew up on a... I grew up on a farm in Nebraska, and the closest thing I ever came to going to a symphony was uh, listening to the squealing pigs at feeding time. Um, but after moving here, uh, we were able to do things like the, the Maryland Symphony up in Hagerstown, um, National Symphony over in D.C. I mean, right here in, in Winchester, Chandler University, um, some symphonies played. Um, and if you've ever been to a part of something like that, there is something exhilarating. I mean, from the first, from the first, I've got a pencil here, from the first downbeat of the conductor, it is very easy to get caught up in the, in the, in the rapture of the, of the genius of the composer. And movement after movement, uh, it builds in crescendos. And, and of course, if you've been to some of those concerts, you know that each movement, there's, at the end of each movement, there's a, there's a pause. You want to uh, clap, you want to uh, express your appreciation, but the conductor still has his baton up in the air. He hasn't put it down. The, the symphony is continuing, but there, there's a pause. And then the next downbeat, and he takes us on to the next movement. And that goes on, and there's another pause, and then the next movement begins. Until at the end, there's this flurry of, uh, of, uh, of notes and musical melodies that all converge and actually crescendo into this loud, uh, euphoric, uh, um, excited conclusion. And then you know he puts his baton down and now the, the audience stands and erupts in this uh, exaltation of joy, uh, of, of being caught up in that moment. The symphony has concluded and you have been caught up almost to the, to the gates of heaven of glory. Beethoven's symphonies would do that to us. Now we've been studying the book of Romans a harmonic symphony of truth. And movement after movement, chapter after chapter, we're caught up in the grandeur of the genius of the composer, God himself. Chapter after chapter unfolds. The introduction is found in the opening verses of the great symphony of Romans. 
Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness. Paul is saying, I'm talking about Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in the, that opening introductory movement of the symphony of Romans, you get an understanding of the, of the key theme that weaves itself through the symphony. Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's good news from God. There's good news from God. And it's about his son, Jesus Christ. The central theme, not just of Romans, but of all of Scripture. If someone were to ask you, so what, what is the book of Romans all about? You tell them it's about God's good news. And it's the good news about Jesus. Now, the introductory movement continues, and he tells us in verse 16 and 17 that I'm not ashamed of this good news. That's what the word gospel means. For it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the good news. Why, Paul? Because God's power is unleashed to save, to bring about salvation. This good news is about Jesus Christ and his power to save. How does that work, Paul? He tells us, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Now he'll go on in this symphony of Romans to tell us we don't have righteousness. And if we're ever going to get to heaven and have a relationship with God, we've got to have a righteousness that isn't from ourselves but one that is from God. And in the introductory movement, he's telling us there is good news. God gives us his righteousness as a free gift to everyone who believes. It is powerful to save. And with that, the conductor pauses. His baton is still in the air. There's silence and anticipation. What's the next movement? The next movement, actually the first major movement begins. And it talks about the need for God's righteousness. It kicks off that movement with verse 18, and it can't be missed. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. When to talk about a need, mankind has a desperate need. We're facing the wrath of God. Why? Because he's holy. He's a holy and just and righteous God. He can't put up with sin and, and unrighteousness of men. And the problem is everybody born in this world is born unrighteous. That's how we begin this life, with sin. It's passed on generation to generation. Paul tells us we are sinners and we need to be saved from the wrath of God. We have a desperate need and he develops that in this first major movement. Chapter 3, verse 10. He tells us, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. He tells us all the world stands accountable before him. 
our mouths have to be shut. We can't venture any um, attempt at a, at a self-defense. Yeah, but God, I did this for you. Or, uh, I mean, you, you saw me do that. I mean, that was pretty good. I mean, that, that's got to kind of wear the label of righteous, doesn't it? And Paul will tell us, no, look, in God's estimation, there is none righteous. No, not one. And that's where the, the second major movement begins. The manifestation of God's righteousness. We wait in hushed silence. The conductor has his baton up. And then the downbeat begins in chapter 3, verse 21. There's wonderful good news, incredible good news from God. It's about Jesus. Do you hear the theme running through the symphony? He says in chapter 3, verse 21, but now apart from the law of righteousness, or man's own attempt at righteousness, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift. And that word justified means being declared right. As a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. You've got to be kidding me. Declared right as a free gift? How is that possible? And he tells us in chapter 4, verse 25, that Jesus was delivered over because of our transgressions. He was raised because of our justification. In other words, what Paul is saying in this major movement of the symphony of God's grace, the, the theme of Jesus Christ and God's good news, is that what we couldn't do for ourselves, Jesus did. He died on the cross. He paid for our sins. He took what was causing our separation from a holy God, our sin, our unrighteousness, our ungodliness, and he took it upon himself. That's what we remembered on Good Friday. He went to the cross and he died on the cross because God, the righteous Holy Father, required a payment for sin. And Jesus stepped from his throne of glory and he said, I'll make that payment. He died in her place. He was delivered because of our transgressions. But Jesus did a perfect work on the cross. He said on the cross, it is finished. The payment was paid. And he was raised again on the third day. He was raised because the work of justification, the work of giving God's righteousness to unworthy, unrighteous sinners was now completed. And anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a personal Savior gets the righteousness of Jesus credited to their account so that God the Father looks at the one who's put their faith in Jesus and he doesn't see our sin. He sees the perfections of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus. And he acquits us of all crimes. We are justified. We are declared right. And it's at this point in the symphony that we, we want to stand to our feet. We want to bravo, bravo, bravo. But, but the symphony isn't over yet. The, the conductor still has a baton up in the air. He hasn't laid it down. And so we pause. 
what else could happen? What other good news could there be? And that's when the third movement begins. The practical outworking of God's righteousness in our lives. Paul is telling us that there is additional good news. It's not only that Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins, gives us as a free gift his righteousness. He actually enters our life. And there is now the real hope of the practical outworking of that life of Jesus in the life of every believer, everyone who puts their faith in Christ. We can experience new life right now. We can experience eternal life right now. Paul put it this way in his symphony. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. The next chapter, he put it this way. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. The moment of faith, the moment anyone puts their trust in Jesus, in that grand transaction, the grand exchange, our sin goes to his account. His righteousness comes to our account. We take it by faith. We believe that. It becomes a reality to us, and he enters our life. And now we have the potential to walk in the newness of that. We can actually experience a resurrected life because of a resurrected Savior who's now living within us. Now, granted, we're this new me that's inside, that has been raised to newness of life, is still encased in a body of sin. I'm living in an earth suit that still is subject to sin, and, and so there's still struggles. There's still challenges. But as we walk by faith in him, that resurrected life can be experienced by us. He wrote this in chapter 8. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness, his righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, we who still have a body of death, we can experience the newness of life of Jesus right now, right here, because of the change that's taken place the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. He adds this at the end of that movement. Oh, the depth, or that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Oh, the wonder of his love. Height, depth, life, nothing will separate us from his love. We are eternally loved by God. And once again, you would think that the, the symphony is concluded, the heights of such joy, but the conductor's baton is still in the air. And so once again, there's a pause. What, what could the next movement produce? The fourth movement begins. The challenge to God's righteousness. You listen. You've come from the heights of glory at the end of the third movement. Nothing separates us from the love of God. But now there's the distinct tones of a minor key, a dirge, 
like a funeral song. And it's the Apostle Paul who bears his heart of sorrow. I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who were Israelites. Paul looked out over his people, the Jewish people, the chosen people of God who God had put his favor upon, clear back and those ancient days of Moses, the great deliverer, who took the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he constituted them his favored people. Of all the nations of the face of the earth, God says, you, you Israel, you Jewish people, you are my chosen ones. And all through the centuries of time, God reiterated that. You're my people, you're my people. And yet those people, those Israelites, those Jewish people, time and time and time again, turned their back on God. And then their Messiah came into the world. We have no Messiah. We have no king but Caesar, they cried. Crucify him, crucify him, away with him. And Jesus went to the cross, rejected by his people. He came to his own, John wrote, but his own received him not. And Paul looks out over the Jewish people, he himself a Jew. And he says, I'm in unceasing sorrow. It's as if God's word has failed. God, where are you? I thought, I thought nothing could separate us from your love. What's happened to Israel? What's happened to those people? I wish I myself, he said, could be separated from Christ for all of eternity for the sake of my countrymen, the Israelites. The fourth movement, the dirge, the sorrowful lament. What's happened to the good news of the righteousness of God? But listen, the conductor continues in the fourth movement. The music plays on, and all of a sudden, the tone, do you hear it? It changes. It changes, and there it is, that, that, that melody again, that strain, that theme. Good news. There's good news. There's good news about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, there it is, erupting. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. Jesus is alive. He's coming again. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. He's alive. Look! And one day the clouds will part, and the heavens will open, and there he is. The deliverer is coming again, and he's going to bring salvation to his people, and he's going to bring deliverance to all this world. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, is coming. Jesus died, but he rose again, and God's eternal plan for the ages has not been thwarted. Darkness could not keep it. Satan could not hold it. Jesus is coming again, and he's going to reign supreme. He's alive. And now you know, as the conductor puts down his baton, you know that we've crescendoed to that closing end. Jesus is coming again in power and in glory and in might, and he's going to put everything back together again. He's going to right every wrong. He's going to bring light to all the darkness. 
He is going to reign supreme on this earth. And now, now you know, it's the time to stand to our feet in thunderous, rapturous applause for the symphony of God's good news is concluding. Jesus is coming again because Jesus is alive. And so what is there to remain? Amen. What's there to remain? But to sing as Paul did at the end of Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And that's how the symphony of the first 11 chapters, the theological heartbeat of Romans ends. To God be the glory. Why? Because God is the supreme one. He is supreme in all things. Oh, the depth, the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Paul is saying, let me challenge you. Who could have come up with a plan like this? Who could have thought this out to take people who have been in rebellion against him? People born in this world who've raised their fist in defiance against God because of sin. People who have ignored God and yet in his infinite love he came up with a plan and his plan was to send his beloved perfect son to a cross to pay for our sins. That which was separating us for all of eternity, paid for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it satisfied God. God, the holy, righteous God, who cannot let imperfection or sin into his presence, looked at the work his son did and he said, I'm satisfied. He did a perfect work and he raised him again on the third day. He was delivered over because of our transgressions, but he was raised because of the work that he accomplished. We were declared right in the eyes of a holy God. It's a free gift to everyone who would receive it. Who could figure this out? All the depth of the riches of the, the wisdom of the knowledge of God. Unsearchable are his ways. Unfathomable are his ways. He is the supreme one in all things. He is sufficient for all things. Who has known the mind of God? Anybody been a counselor of God? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest of men. Has anyone given God advice? Oh, we may try. Even we who are followers of Jesus Christ can say, I think I can handle this issue. I, can, I think I can, if I just worry a little bit more, God, I think I can worry this worry out of my life. <laughs> who has been his counselor? Is he sufficient for all things? Of course he is. The story of the man who stopped alongside the road, there had been a terrible accident and someone had been injured and he steps out of his car to render aid and there's a, a woman kneeling over the person who is injured and he pushes her aside and he says, I, I've just completed a course on, on uh, first aid, let me take it from here. And, and she was shoved aside and she said, um, well, okay, but when you come to the place where you need a doctor, I'm already here. <laughs> Folks, God is already here. He's supreme over all, and he's sufficient for all. 
not only that, he's the sovereign over all things. For from him and through him and to him are all things. God is the first cause. He's the effective cause. He's the final cause of all things. He's the God in heaven who is sovereign over all things. Supreme in all things, sufficient for all things, and he's sovereign over all things. Now let me ask you this morning, on this resurrection morning, can you trust a God like this? Would you want a relationship with a a God like this? Well, we can because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He died and he rose again. And he is alive. And he is the bridge between a God like this, he himself, the very God of God himself, and us, undeserving sinners. The good news on this resurrection morning is that Jesus Christ has paid for your sins. He's taken away that which would separate you from God for all of eternity. And he simply offers now the free gift of eternal life. The free gift of his righteousness given to your account. And the only way, the only thing we have to do to receive it is to believe it. To believe this good news message. The melodious theme of the harmonic symphony of Romans. There's good news. A Savior who came and he died and he rose again. A deliverer who's coming again one day in triumph and glory and power to put everything right in this world. And he offers this morning the free gift of eternal life to anyone who puts their faith in him. It's that simple. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Can you trust that kind of a God? I want to invite you to do it. If you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, I want to invite you to do it on this resurrection morning. You'll you'll, you'll never hear better news. God loves you. He wants to give you the free gift of his righteousness to be placed on your account. He died for your sins, placed on his account. Will you receive the free gift? Will you transfer your trust off of your religiosity, your goodness, the good works that you have done? Because no amount of good works will ever make it to heaven. Can you trust for all eternity the supreme one, the sufficient one, the sovereign God who loves you with an everlasting love? I want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus Christ as your only way to heaven. Right now, say, I believe this to be true. Yes, Lord, I receive this. I'm not going to ask you to walk an aisle, raise a hand, sign a card, say a prayer. I'm going to ask you to put your faith in Jesus and him alone. Will you transfer your trust off of yourself unto Christ and Christ alone? He's the good news of all eternity. Jesus Christ. There really is good news today. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for composing us an incredible symphony of truth recorded in your word. 
thank you, Father, that you have given it to us that we can understand it and, and, and realize how great your love is for us. That we can understand your, your plan for the ages of sending your Son into this world to die and to rise again from the dead. Lord Jesus, thank you that one day you're coming again in power and great might. You, the supreme one, the sufficient one, the, the sovereign of all. And that you want to be our personal Savior, our personal Lord and King. I would pray that you would open up a heart or two or many this morning that they would put their trust in Jesus as their only way to heaven. Thank you, Father, for this resurrection morning, for the truth that it means. Thank you for your love and the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.